Welcome to the Recognizing Potential podcast. This is the podcast to hear authentic stories of marriages that have gone from ashes to excellence, tips to improve your own marriage, definitely some hard truths, and experts in fields that will help you navigate the good, the bad, and the in-between of marriage. I'm your host for the show, Cameron thompson Alariki. I'm the wife to Mo, who is a pilot, so we do talk a lot about aviation on here. And Mo and I have Mason, who is a teenager, and Zane, who is a toddler. I'm an Enneagram 2 with a one wing, a former public school teacher turned Gottman certified marriage coach, an avid self-improvement reader, a homeschool mom, and traveling is an absolute must for our family. That being said, this podcast is set up as if you and I were old friends, sitting together, drinking coffee in a coffee shop, and vulnerably talking about life together. So you'll definitely hear about my boys, my marriage, and my life's adventures of all the things that I just mentioned. If improving your marriage, authenticity, and growth are your jam as much as they are mine, you are definitely in the right place, and I couldn't be more excited to have you here. If you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode, leave a review, and don't forget to share to your socials so that more people can better their marriage along with you. Thanks for listening, and let's jump into this week's episode. Hey, y'all. Before we get started on this week's episode, I have to tell you about the date box. Now, you know that I never share anything I haven't already tried, and I'm ridiculously picky about what I attach my name and brand to. But as a certified marriage coach, one of the things that I'm most passionate about is connection. The more connected you and your partner are, the less conflict you're going to have, the less relationship stress you're going to have, and the more partnership closer friendship, deeper emotional, and better physical intimacy you're going to have, which leads to a stronger relationship overall. And that's why I've partnered with Happily. Happily understands, like I do, that finding a sitter, matching schedules, or living somewhere with a lot of new things to do may be a challenge. And sometimes you just want to have a date at home in your comfy pants. Am I right? Happily's got you. With a date box that's sent straight to your door, there's no excuse not to have at least one night of customizable connection every single month. Mo and I love our date box. We've customized it to what we like to do. And he loves that there's a customized playlist that we get to listen to on Spotify for a little mood music. I love the cute new recipes that we get to bake together and enjoy as we play a game or activity that they always send us. Now the games and activities are actually fun and they help us get to know each other because even though we've been married for almost seven years, we're not the same people that we were when we first got together. So getting to know each other for who we are now keeps things fun, spicy, and connected. And if you're struggling to plan a date with your spouse for less than it would cost you to get a sitter and go out, let Happily take care of the planning for you. Just go to thehappily.co Fill out the questionnaire to customize your date box onto what you like to do. Pick how often you want a date box sent to you and type in the code DIVORCEPROOFMARRIAGE, all one word, for 50% off your first month. Hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of the Divorce Proof Marriage Podcast. Today I am joined with Ann Kaplan. She is a parent coach who right now is running a group for men and coaching the dads out there. Today, I'm super excited. We've got a lot of questions from dads that Anne is going to jump in and do a little bit of coaching with us. She is a wife, a mom, a coach, and she does a lot of work with love and logic and a lot of communication and connection as well as behavior. So I'm really excited to talk to you, Anne, today. Welcome. Thanks for being on. Thanks for having me. 
Yeah. So let's just jump right in. Like, how did you get into this niche? Like, how did you become a parent coach? Mm-hmm. Well, I think, I mean, just like so many of us that go into this sort of value-driven service-based um, entrepreneur fields, it was really driven by my own personal journey and my own parenthood and and motherhood and everything like that. And I remember, you know, kind of feeling like I finally started getting a lot of this stuff figured out and looking back and thinking like, geez, I really wish there had been something a lot more comprehensive. And I didn't have to like come up with this patchwork of both mindset work and parenting skills and relationship skills for myself what would I have wished that I would have had, you know, when I first was starting my family. And that is literally what inspired me to become a coach. I was like, I am going to be <laughs> for moms and parents out there, um, what I wish I would have had. And so, you know, right away, just helping people learn how to respond to kids, discipline issues, behavioral issues, how to be, um, quote unquote strict without losing connection and love, yes. like how to really foster closeness and an open relationship and all of those things that took me so many years of my own, like personal growth work. And then also just skill building and everything. And isn't that the truth? That's exactly how I became a marriage coach because I had been divorced and I was like, no, like I mm -hmm. don't want to go through this again. Like I want to help people not go through the pain of divorce like I did. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, that's, but I love, I love what you said about that. You want to be strict without losing the connection. That's mm -hmm. huge. And I think, I mean, for myself, I, I absolutely relate to that as well, especially. So I have a 14 year old and a three-year-old. Mm. And so we, we have a 14 year old and a three-year-old. They're not just mine, but like, <laughs> it's all the same emotions just on different levels. And so, yeah, that connection sometimes I'm like, you know, you're a real jack wagon today, but <laughs> that's I okay. And it's I still, okay to think that and I still want to love you. So yeah, totally. Yeah. Well, and I think that tends to be like one of the first things I do whenever I start working with a new client is we just have a consultation and just even see if we're a good fit. And a lot of the questions that I ask and the listening that I do in that meeting is all about helping figure out like, where are you strong? Where do you need support and help? And most parents kind of fall into one of two categories, either they're nailing it with the boundaries and the rules and the enforcement and the behavior stuff but they really need some support on like how to actually deliver that with love and compassion and maintain wow. that connection. Or they're on the flip side, which is they're nailing it with the love and affection and connection piece, but really not having a great um, time trying to hold boundaries and stuff like that with their kids. Sure. But we know, I always say, if you ever find out anything in parenting and anything out there that like where all the experts agree, that is something that you should pay attention to because it never happens. And one thing that we know that everybody agrees on is that kids really benefit most from receiving authoritative parenting, which means that we both have a high degree of attunement and connection with our kids plus a high degree of control and leadership with our kids. They need both of those things. So right. most of the time when I'm first getting to know a client, I can say, oh, okay, great. You're nailing it in this department, but we need help in this department. The whole idea is for you to be able to bring both of those things to the table. And so, and it is hard because each of us, we always have our default. And I'm telling you, I've yet never, ever, ever met a parent whose default is authoritative parenting. <laughs> 
well, it's not what we were grow what we grew up with, right? Like most of us grew up with authoritarian parenting, right. which is like, mm-hmm. if I tell you to do it, you're going to do it and you're going to respect mm-hmm. me and you're going to mind. And there's no, mm-hmm. like, there was no connection there. There was no, sure. you know, love and, comp- I mean, there may have been love and compassion, but it certainly didn't look like what sure. it looks like with authoritative parenting. No. So, and I would say there's equally as many parents out there who were raised by permissive parents and mm, it was just yeah. kind of a free for all. And the problem with that is that there is a lot of like emotional connection with a permissive parent, but unfortunately it's not really healthy connection. It's often very codependent. Yeah. When you're having healthy boundaries and having good control and leadership in your family, it enables you to have healthy connection with your child mm-hmm. instead of that kind of permissive codependent kind of connection that we see without when we don't have boundaries. And when you're being calm and compassionate and connected with your child, it enables you to be so much more effective in your discipline because it's not that authoritarian um, based discipline that winds up creating power struggles and defiance and stuff like that. Like the two things really are so necessary, not just because kids need it, but because they don't work without the other. They're just like the the perfect yin and yang of parenting. But like I said, it's not any of our default. And the reason why it's not our default, it is partly because of how we were raised, but also because we are most of the time parenting dysregulated. And when we're dysregulated, we, we by nature default to something unhealthy. We either default into that kind of explosive reactive parenting, or we default into that. Like I always say like thirsty parenting where you're like, please love me. I'll do anything. Forget about the boundaries, you know, blah, blah, blah. Right. But both of those are coming from dysregulation. And so that's why, you know, in order for us to actually be effective authoritative parenting, you're totally right. We have to relearn like pretty much everything because like zero of us were ever parented properly. <laughs> right. But also we have to learn how to manage our nervous systems and be regulated, show up to the table, ready to actually engage properly with our children. So there's a lot of that inner game stuff that's clutch. It is. And, you know, I, I want people to really understand this because so in, do you work a lot with attachment styles in your coaching at all? Yeah. So it's interesting. I used to get really into the attachment styles. Now what I focus on is much simpler. It's either secure or insecure attachment. Are you creating a secure attachment with your child or not? And if it's not, it's irrelevant to me, whether it's an anxious attachment or whatever other kind of attachment, it ain't the good kind. So we need to work on that. (laughs) Right. I love that you do that because I, I work with a lot of attachment styles in marriage, obviously too, because that's what creates the, those power struggles. But I love that you're saying all of this about parenting and like, if you're not parenting well, and, and for people listening that are like, well, why, you know, why do I have to parent the way that you say, because up until the eighties, the basically people like over 75% of the world was secure. Mm-hmm. And then moms entered the workforce, started getting a lot more stressed out dads had to actually, you know, jump in and not just be the protector provider. And now like they're finding out that 20, 30 years later, 75% of the world is now insecure. And so, and that's what the, the majority of us who are parenting 
we fall into that generation. And so mm-hmm. it's important that we don't pass down the insecure attachments and create insecure attachments in our kids. And so that's why that authoritative parenting is so important. But I want to go back to something that you said um, for, because let's be honest, like before I became a coach, I would hear the word codependent and I'm like, I, I don't really like I'm depending yeah. on my kid. Like that doesn't make sense, mm-hmm. but it's not necessarily that you are depending on your kid for physical needs. It's for emotional needs. So talk about what codependency looks like if you are codependent as a parent, codependent on your sure. child. Yeah. So whenever I'm explaining codependency to a client, especially we're just starting from zero and everything, I just like to really simplify it and just say, When we are codependent, we believe that our emotions are other people's responsibility. And if we don't feel good, if we feel scared, if we feel angry, if we feel upset, the solution to that is for the people who are angering us, upsetting us or scaring us to cut it out. Yep. And instead of saying like, oh, if I'm anxious, I need to treat my anxiety, not the thing that's making me anxious. If I, you know, feel angry, I need to address my anger, not control the thing that's making me angry. Like to say that anything makes us anything is actually false. My kids will tell you with the biggest eye roll that no one can make you feel anything because they've been told it so many times, but I will say they, they might eye roll about it, but it's actually, that's their starting place. Like, unlike most people, they have it in their back pocket in the back of their mind. Like, okay, I'm upset right now. I know that I think it's because of this thing that's happening to me, but I also know that what's really true is there's something going on inside of me. Now that does not mean that they behave as like middle-aged woke adults, (laughs) Right. They're still teenagers. They're still little kids and stuff, but they at least have that kind of worldview that I wish I would have had when I was a kid for sure. But so that's what like codependency is. And when in parenting, it happens all the time. Like your kid's taking too long to get ready for their day and it's driving you insane. And your brain thinks like the solution to this my anger, my frustration, my, you know, embarrassment, let's say, because you're going to be late or whatever it is, is the solution to that is for my child to get ready on time. And that's not the case. That doesn't mean that we don't need to set boundaries and teach our children how to get ready timely. But the fact that you're upset about it is your own fault, right? Not fault, but necessarily, but that's your own problem. That's your job. And so, I mean, if you think about it in that way, like I guarantee practically everyone listening to this recording is thinking about how many times as kids, they were under the impression that their parents' emotions were their job. Sure. If I do this, my dad's going to be upset with me. If I do this, my mom's going to be proud of me. If I do this, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, that's really great if your mom's proud of you. So it the opposite of codependence or sort of like the Mecca that we're working towards is interdependence. So I will feel amazing that my mom is proud of me. And also that's not the reason why I'm doing this. Right. And so really working towards that, you know, recognizing that we have to take care of our own emotions so that we can actually effectively set a boundary about the fact that our kids aren't getting ready for school on time in a way that's not about like, if you don't do this, I'm going to lose my mind. It's if you don't do this, that's going to be a bummer for you. And I love you no matter what. And I'm cool either way. Yeah. You know, that's, uh, I work with a lot of people and, and specifically men I have seen so many, well, and you know what, actually, I'm not even going to say that it's just men. 
it's both it's both men and women that are still at the age of 35 40 45 vying for their parents approval mm -hmm. and then projecting that onto their partner totally. and it's sad and it's sad and i would agree it's not just men at all it's any of us who really haven't healed any sort of attachment wounds that we had when we were children, we are doing that. We're necessarily doing that because we can't not do that. It's just how sure. we show up in relationship because we have an attachment wound yep. and no, you can learn all the amazing skills that you want. This is what I learned super early in my practice. Like when I first started my practice, I thought I'm just going to teach people these amazing parenting skills. And I would do that. And then I'd see my client the next week. How did it go? You know? And they'd be like, well, I didn't do any of the shit we talked about. Yeah. Session. Yeah. And it's because like, there's a reason why we're showing up the way that we are. And if we're not healing that piece of the puzzle, like all I'm doing is just flapping my gums at you and giving you some good vibes for 45 minutes every other week. Like, that's cool if that's all you want to get out of working with me. But if you actually want to parent differently during the rest of the week that you're not in a session with me, we need to help you actually find access to that behavior yeah. organically and naturally. Yes, for sure. So let's jump in. Like, what are some of the common things that you are experiencing with your clients right now? Well, I can say with the, in my dad's group, the most common things that I'm working on right now have to do with um, I so we've got a couple of dads who are working with like littler kids. So we're talking mm -hmm. about tantrums and how do we, you know, what I, I see happening a lot with these guys is, um, you know, sort of kind of like negotiations going on with the toddlers, like, okay, yeah. five more minutes of screen time, but then we're going to turn it off. Okay. Or, you know, we're going to go to the store in 10 minutes. Okay. And it's like, you're not in, that's not no okay. leadership. You're, yeah. you're asking permission. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and then when it doesn't work out, you know, and, and, and so, and I would say this, this is actually universal, regardless of the age of the child, what happens most commonly is when our attempts to like kind of kumbaya our way into compliance with our kids and it doesn't work, the questions I get naturally from parents are, and not just dads, moms too, are, um, I, and still when it was, I told them we were going to have five minutes and then they still, you know, had a meltdown when it was time to go or whatever. And, and the focus is always on like, what, what could I, what, what should I have said? Or, yeah. you know, how should I have said it differently? And you can see that this sort of like this underlying assumption that there's some magical way that we can talk to our children, which precludes the need for consequences and boundaries. And if we just knew the right way to tell our kids to do stuff, they would just listen to us and do it. And that's, simply not the case. Like it's not because yeah. you didn't say it right that your kids had a meltdown. It's because your child is testing the, the walls of this container that they live in, that they had a meltdown. It's because that's what they're supposed to do. And the meltdown isn't a problem. It's not something we need to respond to healthily. You know, we don't want to feed them out the tantrum. We don't want to do things that are an exacerbate the tantrum. And there certainly are things we can do that minimize and shorten tantrums for sure. But if our tacit assumption every time is like, oh, there must be a different way for me to like tell you that this is a rule, that that's going to result in you just following the rule. 
now we're trying to use like verbal discipline, which never works and, right. and all that stuff. And so I would say that's, I would, if I had to like, just kind of put in a nutshell, one of the biggest things that I'm working with parents on a lot lately is this like letting go of that idea that if your kid breaks a rule, it's because you gave the rule wrong. If that's not what that means. It's just what's happening because for whatever reason, this human being in this certain moment had to, to try and break that rule or cross that line or just to see, just to see what would happen. And yeah. so your job isn't to give the rule differently. It's to give them the answer to that curiosity. If they're doing something yeah. just to see what would happen. Then you need to have something happen that gives them a really good, healthy answer to that question. What's going to happen if I cross this boundary? Oh, this is what happens when I cross this boundary. Good to know. Yeah. And I think a lot of it has to do with the personality of your kids too. You know, my, my oldest is he is for the most part, a rule follower. He is mm -hmm. very kind and considerate and compassionate. And my three-year-old does not give a shit about nothing, nothing mm -hmm. like totally. he will, he is extremely strong-willed. He is very, you know, like we're pot, we're going through the whole potty training situation right now. Mm -hmm. My oldest, he just decided like, Oh, this is what we're doing. Okay, cool. Like I'm on board. Mm -hmm. My youngest is like, you might be doing that. I am not, in fact. Sure. So we're going to go with no on this. And then some days he might be like, yeah, okay, we'll do it. And I think, okay, we're getting somewhere. And the very next day he has decided, actually, that was a fluke. So today <laughs> we're not. Kidding. Today we're not. We're not doing it. It wasn't yeah, that fun totally. yesterday. So no. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, it's just completely different. And I can That's absolutely right. see my three-year-old as a teenager just, just pushing boundaries just to mm -hmm. see what's going to happen. Just to see. Sure. So, Although yeah. I will say you might be surprised because a lot of times, and this isn't a, you know, hard and fast rule or anything, but a lot of times the kids who are rule followers when they're younger, part of their maturation and individuation process in adolescence is finally, you know, asserting themselves a little bit more. And sometimes that doesn't happen. And, and then that usually will happen in young adulthood instead. So you might see some weird stuff. <laughs> 20 in their twenties or something. And oh, then vice not. versa, I will yeah. say like my, my eldest was a real follower and then went through like a really big rebellious phase. Um, right when he was around 14, my second kiddo, he was the one who was like, Oh, really interesting that you think that. And would yeah. just like really stick it to me pretty much around the clock. And now he's the one who's like, I, you know, next year, mom, I need to apply for college. So I'm really going to hunker down. And if you could hire me an SAT coach, that'd be really great. And I'm like, all right, cool. <laughs> I so, hope, I hope that's the way that it you know is what? because there's no telling. There's no telling. <laughs> yeah. Toddlers, man. Three, three is way worse than two. Mm -hmm. Um, okay. So I have a couple of questions for yes. you from I'm so excited for these. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I texted a bunch of my friends, my brothers are both dads. Um, and I just said, you know, I'm interviewing a, a dad coach. What is the one thing that you struggle with as a dad or that you feel you need more info or help with? And um, I got back. Here's one for you. I struggle mostly with the balance of being involved with all three of my kids' lives. I tend to parent, coach, and teach my son more because I'm always with him outside the house but not so much the girls. I don't want my girls to develop daddy issues. So kind of talk to that. Like how could he mm. be more involved with, um, so his girls are 
I want to say like 12, 11, and then his son just turned seven or mm -hmm. 12 and 10 and seven, something somewhere sure. around there. So how can so, he be more involved? So this is a little speculation on my part. So if you know the answer and I'm off track, let me know. But okay. it sounds like one of the things this dad is implying is that for whatever reason, he has some more like shared time and shared common interests and stuff with his son than he does with he, his yeah. daughters. He so does. that's that's a piece of the puzzle. Also, his daughters are older and they're going through no matter how much shared interest they may have had up until now. It's about to be if it's not already like dad who adios. I'm yeah. So I would say that's part of probably one of the reasons why. And I have a lot of dad clients with like preteen and tween and teenage daughters who we talk about this a lot. It it feels almost like a grieving process a little bit as your child goes through adolescence. And for some reason, dads and daughters, it's there even more because, um, yeah, there's a big sort of emancipation phase that your kids are going through. So that's, that's probably, you know, maybe a little bit of the whys and what fors, um, you know, obviously the low hanging fruit is see if you can find some common interest with your daughters and be intentional about setting some time aside to be with your daughters. And, um, sometimes that means pretending you're interested in stuff that you might not be that interested in, but I have yet to find a dad who can't find at least one shared thing with their, even if it's like watching, I have, this is an actual act, um, example from one of my dads found that he and his daughter would like to watch the Gilmore girls together. <laughs> That's which I think though. is so cute it is so cute but like that certainly wouldn't have been my suggestion like I bet you sure. like the Gilmore girls dad yeah <laughs> yeah he did um so you can find that but I think especially if you're bringing this question to the table like you don't need me to tell you like spend more time with your daughters like that's kind of a obvious thing but in addition to that I would say like focus on quality over quantity and I would say that no matter whether you had daughters or sons or you had a kid who you were closer with and one that you were just the, their age, I think is super important to start giving yourself permission to focus on quality over quantity because the quantity is going to be going down. Right. Um, so when I mean, when I say quality is especially your daughter's ages, spend a lot of time having really tuned in conversations with no agenda whatsoever. There is absolutely yes. no point to the conversation validating whatever they bring to the table. Doesn't matter what it is. You validate their emotions and then ask really great open questions that will help your kids open up and level up. If you can do that, it really doesn't matter if you even ever hang out together at all outside of your house. Like if you have those kind of conversations, you are, I mean, there's no guarantee against daddy issues, but that like that, what I'm talking about is a really healthy, attuned parent-child relationship. And the lack of that is what, attribute, what contributes to daddy issues. And the last thing I'll say is volunteer to be the driver more. The more that you are just driving, you get, you are privy to so much stuff that your kids, oh, yeah. it's like, you're the chauffeur and you're invisible. So now all of a sudden you get to eavesdrop on the most juiciest conversations, Yep. but let your kids pick the music, like all of that stuff, like being that, that kind of quality stuff, it's, it's, it's huge. And, and it, I think this isn't true for all men, but for a lot of men, the stuff that I, I'm talking about, it's not their 
um, default way of connecting with people. Most men have been conditioned to connect over an activity or a shared interest. So it makes perfect sense if your kid's playing whatever sport, probably even if they picked a sport that you didn't like, you still would connect with them over that sport. Like our second son decided out of the absolute clear blue sky last year that he was going to play lacrosse and my husband and I had never witnessed a lacrosse game like I didn't even know what half the stuff that's in lacrosse is called like that sticky basket thing is still what I call that thing but having that shared common activity was something that was like really special for my husband and our son whereas for me like I don't need that I can like just chat with you while I'm like folding laundry and we can still have like a really amazing connected moment. So I, it's, it's a little outside the comfort zone to say, you know, here's how you can have a close relationship with your kid and doesn't have anything to do with activity at all, really. Um, Well, because a lot of women, I mean, they, they do connect over those open-ended conversations and that starts at 10, 11, 12 years old. And so, and, and that's, that's not going to be you know, the most comfortable way of connecting for a man, as you said, because we, they've been, um, conditioned to connect over an activity. Um, but that's really important. And then the other thing that I absolutely love that you said was validation. I don't think, I think we, as a a human society as a whole are struggling with what validation looks like and the reason for it and the importance of it. And like it's it, validation does not mean that you agree with what your kid is saying. It doesn't mean that you agree with what your wife or your husband is saying. It means that you see their side, you understand their perspective and you're saying, yeah, I can, I can see why you would think that, or, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's okay for you to have the emotions that you're having. Even if I think that your emotion is completely irrational, like totally. You might not even, it doesn't even necessarily mean that you understand the other person. It just means that you're giving them the message that their feelings are legit. They're valid. They're allowed to feel the way that they feel, which in a really funny way, as especially as adults, it's important for us to remember that actually our feelings are valid, whether someone else thinks they are or not. Like we don't need another person to tell us that our feelings are allowed to be there, but it comes from receiving validation and through your development that you develop your own sense of self and don't need that external validation as much. That doesn't mean that you don't still, uh, still validation is still a cornerstone of any healthy relationship. Oh, but, for sure. You know, once, once we get to that interdependent place, it's a part of a healthy relationship. It's not a thing that you cling to, to make up for some lack inside of you. Yes, exactly. Um, okay. So next question isn't really a question, but more of, um, he would like to hear your thoughts on discipline and also how to not have a shit show bedtime routine. I love those questions. Okay. My thoughts on discipline. And like I said, in the very beginning are that the discipline is a fundamental piece of parenting. And I think that for a lot of us, discipline has gotten a bad rap because, um, either because we experience discipline through the authoritarian lens. So we have experienced discipline as punishment and we conflate 
discipline and punishment. They are not the same thing at all. And punitive parenting, which is also what authoritarian parenting is, is not healthy parenting and it's not effective. Um, so right. if you experienced um, discipline that way, um, it makes perfect sense for you to be, you know, kind of maybe wary of doing that. Or when you do try to do it, it comes out punitive, even if that's not what you want. And you probably are beating yourself up for losing your temper or yelling at your kid or whatever it is. That's makes perfect sense that that's what's going on for you. And it's totally possible to change that. You don't have to throw out the baby with the bathwater, so to speak, like don't throw out discipline because you're trying not to be punitive. Instead, learn how to be non-punitive in your discipline. Um, and the other reason why I think some people are reticent about discipline is because if you are a really codependent person, if you don't have, if you have an attachment wound, somebody having negative emotion, uh, in response to you about you, you know, any of those kinds of things is excruciating. Yeah. And so we wind up becoming permissive parents because of that. Um, and so um, and then the last thing I'll say about discipline in general is I think a lot of people have thoughts about discipline that, um, that it's, uh, that it's their job as parents to make their kids do stuff and right. that that's what discipline is. It's about getting your kids to do X, Y, and Z or to stop doing A, B, and C. And not only is that what you're supposed to do as a parent, but if your child is misbehaving, it's because you are failing at that, that responsibility. And that also is false. So I really feel like a lot of my work with clients is simultaneously encouraging them and supporting them to get more and more disciplinary while debunking pretty much every thought they have about what discipline even is. And it's so it's a little bit of a, you know, parallel process that can sometimes almost feel like it's um, working against itself a little bit. But, um, but the more we start looking at, I mean, I love to just say like the word discipline and the word disciple comes from the same place. It's about teaching and learning. And so when we help discipline, truly effective discipline is about helping kids connect the dots between the choice they make and the outcome they create. And they get to take as long as they need to, to make that connection. And they can make that connection and then still consciously choose to do something that will result in the outcome that will, you know, be a bummer for them. It's not about controlling them at all. It's about informing them. And if you get, so I always like to say, you want the line between those dots to be as linear as possible. You want it to be like super clearly obvious. When I do this, this is what happens. When we get upset, when we yell at our kids, or when we change the rules all the time, or we go back on our boundaries or any of that stuff, instead of that being a straight line between those two things, it is the most circuitous journey with so many roadblocks and detours that it's it's a miracle that kids ever make that connection at all so part of our job as parents is removing all of that all those detours and roadblocks for our kids meaning we remove our own emotion from the situation we remove our own intensity from the situation those are the two biggest detours for a child because kids are wired to care about what's going on with you yeah. because you are the thing that makes them survive. So if you are unhinged or dysregulated, that will trump anything else that this child was about to learn. 
Um, and then we really want to help you be super, super consistent. So when something goes this way, here's what happens about that. And so that brings me to the question about bedtimes. Yeah. So I think what we really need to remember for bedtimes is bedtimes are about going to bed. They're not about going to sleep because you're not the boss of anyone else's body, but your own. So you can't make someone sleep. Right. Um, instead you can have boundaries about, you know, at this time people stay in their room. It has to be something you can enforce. So, so for some of my clients, they like to use the lump and logic to tool of putting a little hook and eye lock on the outside of their kid's door. And if they, they get the choice, do you want to stay in your room by yourself or do you need help to stay in your room? Oh, looks like you need some help staying in your room. Okay. I'm not telling you to like, go lock your kid in their room and go have a margarita or anything like that. Right. I'm just right. saying that we need to be able to actually, if, if you can't enforce a boundary, you can't set a boundary. It's not a boundary. So you don't say anything that you're not willing to actually make sure it happens and that you're not able to make sure it happens. Um, and then I would also say if it's at all possible, this is my only like very specific parenting kind of suggestion that I give around bedtime and it's not possible in every family and it's okay if it's not possible, but if it is possible for your kids not to sleep with each other until they have actually learned the rules of the house and they understand that bedtime means bedtime, I highly recommend separating your children if that's possible. And like that might separating be in two different beds or completely different rooms? Two different rooms if possible. Okay. And sometimes that even means toddler goes to bed in mom and dad's room and then gets moved if that, you know, I've, I've clients who have like three kids sharing a bedroom and stuff like that. So once again, I say, I say it's not insurmountable, but it just makes your life so much easier as a parent for this, like kind of disciplinary, like you're introducing something new. Your kids are definitely going to be like, <laughs> I love how he said like a shit show. It's going to be a shit show in the beginning, even when you're putting the boundaries, but the shit show, instead of it being like you trying to herd cats, and that's the shit show. Now the shit show is dad enforced a boundary and I'm going completely ape shit about it. So watch me melt down. That's right. going to be the shit show. But the meltdown's not a problem. It's just way easier when there's not three kids melting each other down and, you know, stuff like that. Also, it's okay if that is how it has to be. But I always like to say like, listen, your, your life is a shit show right now anyway. Wouldn't it be great if you made that shit show work for you and you knew that that shit show had like a deadline and then it wasn't going to be like that anymore like every single night when it's a shit show that shit show is a, like a little deposit in this like peaceful evenings bank account that you are building and if you stick with your boundaries and stay calm do not lose your mind stay calm enforce your boundaries let the kids be upset you don't get upset if you do that consistently like a flipping robot for probably like three nights honestly you will be flabbergasted at how different things are on the other side of that but it's hard it absolutely is hard i mean this is why i don't just sit and create a plan with my clients, but they have unlimited access to me between coaching calls. So you don't have to like, just go off and wing it. And then I hear from you next week and you're like, it didn't work. Like if I hear from you next week and you tell me it didn't work, I'm going to be like, why didn't you tell me that on day one? We, yeah. you know, come on, we can troubleshoot this here. Um, and then also like when you get frustrated, that's part of our work too. So we can spend some time, not just creating this like amazing, like waterproof tight watertight plan for you, but also coming up with like, okay, so now why are you going to lose your mind and start screaming at everybody? And that's how we can really address 
not only the plan itself, but also like all of the things that are going to be going on internally for you, that's going to make you sabotage yourself. Yeah, for sure. One of the things that I think people struggle with is so, okay, we're in this state where we know we're dysregulated. We're yelling, we're, you know, we're pissed at our kids because bedtime is a shit show. And I think a lot of it is getting real with ourselves of like, okay, why are we angry that our kids mm-hmm. are angry and not going to bed? But then also at in that moment, when you are dysregulated, how do you even like give some tips on how to mm-hmm. regulate yourself so mm-hmm. that you're not losing your mind and you're not yelling and making things even worse. Sure. So remember in the very beginning when we were talking about how I use like relationship-based um, parenting yeah. is what I teach my clients and everything. This is a really great example of that because sometimes it's really e- easier to talk about the stuff like how we were talking about it before where it's like, hey, is this an attunement thing and a connection thing or is this a discipline thing and a boundaries and leadership thing? And sometimes it's really handy to compartmentalize those things. A, a lot of the times we do that. But this is a really great example of how it's all kind of one and the same. So I like to say that communication is a spectrum. And depending on your level of dysregulation, like what's going on in your nervous system, different aspects of that spectrum will be available to you. So just right now, I'm not going to make any smart choices if I stay present right now. I need to leave. That is probably the very first of, if you look at like healthy communication on a spectrum, that's like the first thing that we can access. And for a lot of people, that might be the only thing that we can access for a long time. And especially when you're in a relationship with a two-year-old or a three-year-old, like there will be times when the only level of healthy communication you can access is to leave. And so that is my advice. If you know that you're dysregulated, just walk away, walk yeah. away. Nothing bad is going to happen. Let's using the bedtime analogy. It is bonker balls. There's like 10 little monkeys jumping on the bed. You're about to lose your mind just, and I encourage my clients to have like a one-liner. So you don't even need to think in that moment. You just say the same thing every time. So your one-liner might be something like, I'm really upset right now. And I'm going to make a really bad decision. If I stay here, I don't make good decisions when I'm upset. I'm going to go take some space and you don't need not even have to say it as long as that you can just be like, I need some space right now. And you walk out of the room. And sometimes that means you go and lock yourself in the bathroom as many moms already know. Yep. Yep. <laughs> sometimes kids like to, to sometimes kids really like to follow you, follow you with their shit show. And you're like, no, for real, you need to get away from yeah. right now. But you instead of saying you need to there, get, that's why I'm leaving. That's right. And so one of us, one of the things that parents say all the time is you need to give me space or I need you to walk away. Mm-mm. You need to take care of your own needs. So if you know that you need space, well, first of all, congratulations that you even have the presence of mind to recognize that about yourself. Right. That's half the battle. And now instead of saying you all need to step off because I can't handle this, it's I need to take care of myself. I need to give myself space. And so, you know, that is the number one thing on that whole spectrum of healthy communication. And as you get better at managing your nervous system, now maybe other things are still are, are available to you, even if the other person that you're talking to is dysregulated. Might, maybe now not only stepping away is available to you, but also reflective listening might be available to you. So you can say, I can see that you're really upset right now, or I hear you saying that you don't want to go to bed right now or whatever. Fabulous. If that's available to you, 
you know, and then maybe one level up from that could be validation. And then, you know, as you get even healthier and all of that stuff, you might even be able to have like a really great empowering conversation with your child where you say like, what are some solutions to the fact that you don't want to go to bed right now and ask some great empowering questions, but it's totally fine. No human being is able to access all of those levels of communication all of the time. Because all of us have nervous systems that are designed to get off of our baseline and then come back to baseline. And if you don't give yourself the space and time that you need to come back to baseline, you won't. It's like, uh, I like to tell people, uh, I teach my clients, your, your nervous system is like a snow globe. And when things are happening that are, you know, getting you dysregulated, it's like someone has taken your snow globe and they are shaking it up. And that is like a blizzard conditions in there and zero visibility. And in order for things to settle down, you need to put the snow globe down. And if you do, everything will settle down again. Like your nervous system will re-regulate if you stop overstimulating yourself. If you continue to stay present while things are shaking up your snow globe, you ain't never going to see clearly. But if you step away and let your snow, all that snow (laughs) settle down, all of a sudden you're like, oh, okay, right. This actually isn't an emergency. Oh, okay. They're really only going to bed 10 minutes late. Oh, okay. I actually remember now that my coach told me we're going to do this, 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 and this, when this happens, you just need to give yourself permission to give, like, take care of your needs and re-regulate. And when dysregulation is what's happening between parent and child, absolutely nothing else will effectively work before re-regulation happens. That's the only choice you have in that moment is to re-regulate yourself or to give your child the space and time and and the needs that they have to re-regulate. If you try to do anything else before re-regulation happens, it will only make things worse and it will absolutely fail. So to give you a real-time example of this, I don't know if you've seen me take about 10 deep breaths here in the last five minutes. My toddler, I can hear my toddler screaming in Mm. the other room. His brother's taking care of him. I guarantee you that they are wrestling and doing something ridiculous. I've heard a loud crash, so I'm sure (laughs) something is broken, whatever. It is what it is. This is our daily life. But I could feel myself getting dysregulated. And then as I'm taking my own deep breaths, I'm like, it's fine. I hear this. But historically, like working with clients and stuff, I'm like, are you hearing my three-year-old? And they're like, no, we can't hear you. So I'm reminding myself that like, it's fine. Most likely listeners are not hearing Zane scream right now because that's Mm -hmm. what he does. And that's how he communicates 90% of the time. It's only dysregulating me. It's only bothering Mm -hmm. me. And so like, it's not that big of a deal. Right. It's just, it is what it is. I know they're safe. I've watched them on the baby monitor several times. Like I know they're safe, but it's just annoying to hear Zane scream. Yeah, and it's so, super annoying. Yeah. And I also think this is a really great example because you could be telling yourself right now, like, I hate this. And so yeah. it needs to stop and, yeah. and go off and be really dysregulated about it. And also like, it's totally fine when you know, you're calm and we're done for you to go and do something about that. You know, you might say it's going down for a nap as soon as we're done, but But you might say, you know, it's a real bummer that you guys couldn't be quiet while I was doing my, you know, podcast. And so here's, here's what happens when that goes down or whatever. And it's totally fine. I think that people, people take 
I see this happen all the time and I can't even tell you how many clients I have who used to be in a, um, you know, conscious parenting group or a, you know, uh, discipline with yes group or whatever. And they come to me because they are realizing that they're turning, um, they're turning this like conscious parenting into permissive parenting because they're conflating the fact that we empathize with our children, that we own our own emotions, that we bring radical accountability to our parenting as synonymous with like not disciplining them for their misbehavior. Because, well, if I'm upset about their disbehavior or sorry, their misbehavior, that's a me problem. It is true that your upsetness is a you problem for sure. But what I tell my clients all the time is the choice your child makes is what should determine the consequence, not your feelings about their choice. Yeah. How many times do we, like, I always use the example of throwing a ball in the house. Like it, if the first time your kid throws a ball in the house, you might be like, stop throwing balls in the house. And then the second time you're like, like, I told you not to do that. The next time you might yell at them. The, f- the fourth time you might take the ball away. Now the child is not learning. Don't throw a ball in the house. What they're learning is I need to gauge how upset my parent is because yep. that's what's going to determine what happens to me. They've made absolutely no connection to the choice that they've made to throw the ball in the house. If throwing the ball in the house is against the rules, it's against the rules. Also, when you're not upset about it, when you're right. still calm, when you still, when you haven't lost your temper and all that stuff. But what we do is we give the consequence based on how upset we are. Like, well, I don't care that they're, you know, horsing around in the other room because it doesn't really matter. Okay. Well, that's really great because knowing it doesn't matter helps you stay calm and not lose your mind. But also if it's not cool to horse around in the house, then that's the truth. And I don't need to be upset about it. And I certainly don't need to be upset about it in order to do right by you. Right. And I think I just love that example. That was a great example. Thanks. You know, that's, this podcast (laughs) is nothing if it's not authentic. So, you know, (laughs) that's that's what I kept reminding myself. And I'm like, you know what? These people that listen to me week after week, I tell stories about my life all the time. They know that with a 14 year old and a three year old, it's a shit show. Like, a lot. So like, if they're hearing Zane scream in the background, they're like, oh, well, this is normal for Gam. So, you know, and I think it's also relatable for anybody else who has totally small children that they're mm-hmm. like, oh, she's not, I'm not the only one because she's got it going on and she's on a podcast. So, you know, I well, think, and I think so rap- go ahead. I was just going to say, I think that's why running group coaching programs has been so profound for my clients. Like there's, I mean, all of the stuff that we've been talking about, like I obviously can teach that one-on-one and I do it all the time and it's fabulous and people love it because it's all like personal and customized and you have my undivided attention and all that great stuff. But what I can't give you is that normalization, that like sisterhood or brotherhood experience, that feeling of community, knowing that you're not alone. And when I started my dad's group back in October, I was really impressed with how, like when I asked the guys, you know, could you guys give me some feedback? I'd love some testimonials, all that good stuff. Every single person in the group sent me practically the same testimonial, which was in some way, shape or form saying like, it has been life-changing for me to hear from other parents that they are dealing with the same stuff I am. Like it is mind blowing. And I, I think it is that way for all parents, but I, I think as I've been running this group for dads, I'm realizing it's even more profound for dads because, um, you know, I think there's a lot of societal pressures on men 
to be strong and figure stuff out. Yep. And there's not a whole lot of like commiseration and certainly not a whole lot of like, you know, support group kind of vibes. And that's really, really unfortunate. And I also think that, you know, finally, as a society, we are leveling up and realizing, you know, there's a pretty big gap for women in terms of mental load than men. And that's not right. And all this stuff. And the, but the flip side of, of all of that is it can often come off as moms have it so much worse than dad. So dad, if you're having a hard time, you better shut your mouth about it. Cause it's nothing compared to what a mom is going through. Yeah. So, you know, put on your big boy pants and get, get over it. And that is so not helpful. Like dad's every human being is not supposed to parent in isolation. That was not how the system is designed. And every single parent, every single human being benefits from being in community. And, and so, you know, I think the more that we actually, it's like, we're simultaneously telling dads that they're not leveling up while making it almost the system's not designed to facilitate their leveling up. And there are so many dads who do want to, I mean, I talk to them every day. My clients do um, do not fit the stereotype of, you know, dad's not wanting to do the heavy lifting. Dad's not really caring if they're doing a good job. You know, that's not true. It's simply not true. Unless your dad is a sociopath, he does actually care about being a good dad. Sure. But if the universe and the world that he lives in is, is designed to, you know, kind of impede him from actually rising to this occasion that he probably recognizes he wants to rise to, you know, what is that serving? And so I really think it's important that we have these groups, um, and, and communities and platforms and, and arenas where dads can be real, you know, do it on their own terms, get parenting advice. That's not one size fits all, but is actually attuned to a father, you know, read any parenting book out there. Even if it doesn't say mom or dad in it, it's very, very clear that it was written for mom and, you know, getting the support and information and skills and education on your own terms and at your own level and acknowledging and validating your personal experience is so important. And it, I mean, I like uh, one of my clients I interviewed for my podcast and I asked him, you know, what do you think got in your way of getting support before? And he's like, I just literally couldn't find it, you know? So heck yeah. I mean, we, we at least need to remove this super easy barrier to change, which is making people aware that help is out there and it doesn't suck and it's totally accessible and, you know, don't give up. You can figure this stuff out. And it, it doesn't have to only be for people who are in super extreme purpose uh, circumstances, or I had somebody make the assumption that all the dads in my dad's group were single dads, which is completely not true, but no. it's like, yeah, it's very revealing the assumptions that people bring yeah. to this stuff. Um, yeah. You know, I, I work sometimes with court mandated clients, for example, and people all the time assume that they are all men which is not true at all. Um, Or they assume that all of the men that I work with are struggling with being too aggressive and violent with their children, which is also not true, even a tiny bit. No, but this is, I mean, this is the societal. These are the assumptions that are, that are being made. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, I interviewed a guy by the name of Zach Watson. Um, 
he's all over Instagram. He calls himself um, a recovering man child and a, um, I can't remember something about like invisible labor coach is what he calls himself. And he works with dads as well. Um, but when we were talking, part of his story was that he would try to do something and then his wife would get irritated or just step in and be like, oh, it's just easier for me to do it myself because then I can do it right. And he's like, no, if you don't give me the opportunity to learn, I'm never going to learn. And I think that for decades, this is what has happened is that we as women have stepped in and said, oh my God, you know what? I'm just going to do it myself That's right. because then it's quicker and it's mm -hmm. easier. And, but then we get mad and we're resentful right. because we had to do it ourselves, but we didn't have to, that was a choice we made. And we actually took away the opportunity to learn from like for our partner to learn. That's so, so spot on. I just, I have an email going out tomorrow actually to my list that is all about, I've called that, you know, that's Monday morning quarterbacking, right? Like that yeah. your wife is Monday morning quarterbacking you. And it happens all the time, especially early on where moms are hyper vigilant about the baby, understandably, and they don't yeah. realize that they are totally emasculating their partners and making it so that you know, even just a few months from now, you are going to want to murder your husband yep. because he's not doing anything and he's not pulling his weight, but you've been telling him he's a piece of shit for the last couple of months. And so yeah. now he believes it. And so now, but that doesn't mean that it's mom's fault. Like the, the guy that you were interviewed is it's such a great example. It's dad, it's for dads to set boundaries yeah. Going back to the whole boundary thing. It's yeah. for dads to set boundaries and say, I am a parent here too. I get that you don't like how I'm parenting, but also I will be the one who takes care of the situation and I probably won't do it well. And guess what? Like we as moms, I mean, don't get me wrong. The expectations on moms is, are ridiculous yeah. and we definitely beat ourselves up like crazy when we're not perfect and all of that stuff. But if you just think about all of the crazy mistakes and total cluster fucks that we created when we were learning how to parent, going somewhere and forgetting the diaper and having a huge blowout or, you know, taking your kid to a dinner party and they vomit all over you and you don't have a change. I mean, we did all of that stuff, but we didn't, but we didn't have like a whole like peanut gallery telling us, God, I should have just taken the baby. You don't know what you're doing, blah, 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 blah. Right. So we might've said that to ourselves. But, um, you know, our partners very, very rarely is it where a partner is the, is the dad is the one saying that to the mom. Now, obviously we're falling into some gender stereotypes. It's not like that in every single family and Monday morning quarterback quarterbacking happens on both sides of the aisle, a hundred percent. But I do think that that concept really resonates with a lot of the dads I work with for sure. You know what? So totally throwing myself under the bus here. This is not my first rodeo with children. All right. So I have a 14 year old, my three-year-old, <laughs> excuse me, my three-year-old about four months ago, probably we are running an errand. I had to run my 14 year old to an appointment of some sort. I can't remember what, but Zane has a complete blowout in 
the appointment office and like to the point where as soon as I walked into the room, I was like, holy God, like this is awful. So I take him to the parking lot and he had literal shit running out his pants. It's all over the back seat. And I realize I have a, I, I don't have any more pants for him. I have no pants for him. I have no extra shirt for him. And there is, I pulled him out of the car to get him, like, finish getting him cleaned up. We're in the parking lot, like, that's in the middle of nowhere. Thank God. But there's literally a pile of shit on the ground. And I was like, you know what? Like, the day could not get any shittier, literally. And so I texted just the pile of shit, a picture of that to my husband. And I was like, hope your day is better than mine. He's a pilot. And he was like flying all over. And he wrote, he writes back and he goes, his first question is, where are you? And I told, I was like, we're at whatever this appointment was for Mason. And he goes, are you okay? And I said, I'm fine. And he goes, fine, like. I'm fine. It's fine. We're all fine. Everything's fine. Or like, you really are fine. And I was like, it just is what it is. And he goes, okay, next question is Zane. Okay. And I was like, well, I mean, he's naked in a diaper and in his car seat, but it is what it is again. And he's like, he goes, okay, well I'll be home tonight. So sorry. Like, I'm really sorry. You're having to deal with that. And you know what? The one thing and going back to that validation the best thing that he did in that situation was validating that like, yeah, that is a really shitty situation, literally and figuratively. And I'm really sorry you're having to deal with that by yourself. Like that was yeah, like that it. right there was enough. I was yeah, like, exactly. Okay, that but imagine, enough. imagine if instead he was like, well, did you bring an extra change of clothes? And like, I've told you three yeah. times that you need to bring this stuff and like, yeah here's what you should do instead and blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's so belittling. And I think, I mean, this to me is the huge juxtaposition between the parenting side of stuff and the marriage side of stuff is like, how amazing does it feel to have a partner who's like, I'm so sorry that shitty thing happened to you. And like, I know you've got this, like, you're a great parent. You're going to figure this out. Yeah. And yeah. I mean, especially in your example, like your husband's in the air. He can't help you, but he yeah, can no, absolutely no. like <laughs> it was yeah. literally one of those situations of no one's coming to help you. You need to figure this out on your own, get your life together and manage this by yourself, no matter how many plates you're trying to juggle. Like, and it was one of those things where I was I was embarrassed as a mom of like, how 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 do you forget an extra set of clothes? Like, this is not your first rodeo. And the kid's three, like, you forget this. I mean, he was almost three. And then the other situation of like, okay, I'm that mom that literally does not have her life together in the middle of the parking lot. And so I was like, okay, yeah, it just, you know what? We're just going to accept this for what it is and we're going to move on. So, and now I, just, I, I like have that. like it's eight really sets of clothes everywhere. <laughs> so, exactly. uh, yeah. And that's how you learn. Right. And yeah. I think, so don't get, like I said before, like the, the ridiculous amount of societal pressure that are, is on moms to be like Mary Poppins all the time. It's ridiculous. But I will say like one of the 
quote unquote good things about that is we we rise to whatever occasion as moms like we don't yeah. think I can't do this or I guess I should just default to my other parent that doesn't even occur to us we're just like well here I am in the parking lot I gotta figure this out and that's it and yep. moms all the time get, I mean, I hear it from parents all the time. Also my like girlfriends and stuff like that are like, listen to this text. Like I'm at book club and I'm getting texts from my husband, like, uh, what should I make for dinner? And it's like, fucking figure it out, dude. Yeah. But it's like, that's because you have that attitude about parenting. And if you step back and, and also believe in your partner, they will develop that attitude as well. But once again, like it's not on the mom to make their partner have this attitude. It's on each and every one of us to decide that we get to be the parent we want to be and level up. And so, yeah. you know, like I said, I, every dad that I work with wants to level up. They have right. a high expectation on themselves. They do want to step into parenthood and fatherhood in these way more modern and, um, mindful and healthy ways and it's perfectly legitimate that we don't we want some help figuring that out like everybody needs that not just moms not just dads everybody yeah for sure i agree um okay so last question um mm -hmm. to answer from a dad and then um i want to hear about your coaching program and where to find you and all the things Whew. so the question is electronics I think this okay. is on every parent's mind. What yeah. are your thoughts surrounding electronics, um, social media for kids, all of that? Sure. And like, what's, what are your thoughts? I mean, so this isn't just my opinion or anything. It's just a very unpleasant fact. It's an unfortunate truth as, uh, as <laughs> the expression goes, we know scientifically like screens are not good for kids. There's, I mean, you can't argue with that. It's just right. a fact. And social media also is not good for kids. So if we want to just look at this through the lens of like, what's best for your child, no screens and no social media. If that's not my opinion, I'm not trying to be an extremist or anything. That's just the truth. Just like it's really best for your kids not to have any alcohol or any drugs. We just right. know that's true. That being said, I have very few of my clients who take that approach so in that case, you need to have a values-driven and relationship-driven approach to your screen. So rather than me saying, you should have one hour of screen time a day or whatever, like attune to your child. Like I have clients whose kids like simply cannot handle video games, for example. Yeah. They literally cannot handle it. And that sucks. But, you know, if at once you recognize that that's true and you say, well, but theoretically it's, it's healthy for a child or it's totally okay for a child to have an hour of, of uh, video games every day. Yeah, that's true. In general, it is absolutely not true for your child. That'd be like saying, right. well, most kids can handle eating peanut butter. So I should give peanut butter to my kid who's allergic to peanuts. Well, it is true that most children can handle peanut butter. Your child cannot. Right. And so instead of like us trying to have this kind of like universality, that's not a punishment. It's not you being unfair. It's just the facts of the matter. Like I will parent you the way that you deserve and what the way that you need, because yeah. that's what doing right by you looks like to me. Um, the same thing with social media. Like there's some kids who can handle it and they can make good choices. Even at a very young age, the rule of thumb is not before um, eighth grade. 
Uh, I have an eighth grader. He can't handle it. There's no way he could handle it. That's right. We've had that conversation and we've just said, I've just said that like, you know, given that, I mean, he is a little bit more of a follower than a leader and he is also very sensitive and compassionate Mm -hmm. and kind. And I don't believe that he would bully others, but I, you know, I do believe that there would be some jack wagons that would bully him. And so we've just had that conversation of like, no man, like it's not going to happen until. Sure. Well, and so let's, I, so to get deeper into this, like, cause social media is a great example. Like your child is going to make bad decisions with social media. Sure. I mean, I make bad decisions with social media. <laughs> um, so that's going to happen when I say what, what I mean, when I say, is your child ready for this or not is does your child recognize when they've made a bad decision and do something to remedy it. Do they have open communication with you about what's going on in their social media world? And that's where we have a not always. Yeah, exactly. Like the majority of the time is a no. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we've had the conversation around of when I see that you can, you know, talk to me, acknowledge what you've done, take responsibility, take accountability, Mm -hmm. try to, you know, remedy it. Um, And even like, there's even been some inappropriate conversations that he's had through text messages. And I'm like, man, if you can't handle texts, like you can't handle some social media. So, well, and I would say that that's this, these rules of thumb apply absolutely to technology across the board, like doesn't have to be social media. So this is the number one piece of advice I can give to any parent is when you give your child a phone or an Xbox or, you know, access to YouTube or whatever it is, really have it in your mind. And you may even choose to present it to your child this way. Like we're going to see how this goes. After a week of this, I can tell that this isn't working. It's no big deal. You can say, oh, well, looks like you weren't ready for it. No problem. That isn't a failed experiment. We're going to take it back and, you know, We'll try it again in a year or we'll try yeah. it again in six months because you can see how, well, first of all, it it's a great feedback for your child. It's a logical, natural consequence to mishandling this um, privilege is that you're not really ready for that privilege. It's not bad. It's not good. doesn't mean anything bad about you. It's just you weren't ready for this right now. And that's no problem. But it does give the child feedback on like, okay, so if I really want to have access to this, these things, these are the things I have to get good at. And, and so it becomes so much more of like this lower stake situation when parents are like, well, you can't put the genie back in that bottle. Like, yes, you can. That's not true at all. You can change your wireless plan. You can take your child off of your cell phone plan. You can um, literally take the phone away from your child. You can change your Wi-Fi password. Like not, this isn't even getting into all the apps out there. You can use bark, you yeah. can blah, 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 blah. There's a million ways for you to go tech free. And that, that'll be the last thing I would say is if you can tell that technology is getting out of hand or, or also I would say, if you see a lot of arguing going on in your family, even if it's not about technology, do a week long tech detox just give it a try. And I promise you, you are going to see a complete energy shift in your family within like 48 hours. It is amazing. Siblings start getting along better. Kids are not in such a rush to get back to whatever it is that they were doing. So they actually listen to you. You know, they don't, you know, half-ass their chores. Like 
I am tell I have never had a so like I said like most of my clients don't do the screen free thing, but every single time I have a client who actually does do a, a tech detox, it's like a miracle cure. Yep. And you know, and it, and it it doesn't have to be because the stuff in your family is clearly obviously tied to tech. It doesn't have to be because of that. Even then, taking tech away changes everything. It's just because we don't realize how much it affects our brain. I took uh, Mason, I don't know, this has probably been a year ago. Um, he was struggling with his phone and I don't even remember what happened, but we took it away for about six months and like, he didn't have it at all. And he told me one day, he said, we were coming back from the gym and he said, mom, he goes, you know what I've noticed? He goes, I don't even care anymore that you took my phone away because he goes, I'm less stressed. I'm less, and he doesn't even have social media. This is just texting, calling. Um, and then he does watch like, I mean, he, he does have social media, I guess with like the YouTube shorts, but he doesn't, he's not allowed to like text on there. He just watches it like reels. But he said, he's like, mom, I'm not, I'm not as stressed out. I'm not, he's like, what do you notice about my attitude? And I said, it's actually a lot better. It's so much better. And it goes back to that connection that when your, your phone, and this is, I mean, this goes into marriage too. 35% of people reach for their phone immediately after having sex. 35%. Like, are you serious? You can't like sit there and connect a little bit more and like talk to your spouse. You have to reach for your phone immediately. Like, what are you doing? And so mm -hmm. the phone just becomes so much of a time filler sure. that we didn't have. I mean, I didn't have that before mm -hmm. I got a phone in high school or junior high. And so now it is a time filler. Whereas before that was filled with talking to your family, playing games, having, you know, we, we made it Sunday nights is now completely tech free and we play mm -hmm. games last night we sure. played spoons and it was hilarious like <laughs> it was it was we've laughed we haven't laughed that much in forever and so you know it's just stuff like that that it's little changes that if you truly want to see in your family or in your marriage or in your individual life if you want to see those changes happen in a year it's the habits that you create now and you, like you said, you absolutely can put the genie back in the bottle. Absolutely. You totally can. I just think it's so interesting. Like, so if ever I have a client who's come to me like three times in a row to have tried to figure out like new screen time roles, I usually say like, you're telling me that screens are a problem in your family. They're certainly not necessary in your family. If this were anything other than screens, the logical thing that you would have already done like three times ago is just not have that anymore. Yep. But yep, instead you're tying, you're tying yourself in knots, trying to figure out how to give your child this thing that doesn't work for them. And the truth is like, we know this screens are addictive, especially social media, especially video. We know it, we know that. So it's like, okay, let's just imagine that instead of talking about screens, we were talking about crack and yeah. you gave your child crack. Your kid got addicted to crack and then you got really mad because your child kept acting like a crack addict and you spent all of your time trying to figure out how to just control giving your child crack instead of not giving them crack anymore. It makes no sense at all. None yep. whatsoever, but we all do it. We all yep. do it. 
Yep. And it doesn't even have to be crack. It can be sugar or food dyes or anything else that like, I used to be a kindergarten teacher and I used to tell my kids, um, they kept saying, well, that's not fair. That's not fair that, you know, he gets a different type of chair than I get, or, you know, something like that. And we had so many discussions that by the time they were done with kindergarten, they could tell you fair is what you need to be successful. It does not mean that it's equal. Fair and equal are not the same thing. So like you said earlier, where we're looking for it to be equal for all of our kids to be able to get technology or the same amount of technology or whatever, that's not what they need to be successful. So taking it away, limiting it, whatever, like you said, that's what's fair to them. I think one of our biggest challenges as parents is fear of fallout of enforcing our boundaries, which gets back to that whole attachment wound and being codependent as parents. It's like, yeah, why is it a problem for you? Yeah. It's not a problem for your child to be upset. And anytime I get a consequence, I'm pretty pissed off about it too. If I get pulled over and get a speeding ticket, I'm not like, thanks officer G that'll help me be wiser in the future about how I drive my car. I'm like, gosh, darn it. It's so unfair. And I wasn't speeding that bad. And that officer was really mean. And you know, whatever, it's okay. The power of and you can be mad and (laughs) you're still getting a ticket. That's right. Exactly. And that's okay. Like no one begrudges me my right to be pissed off that I got the ticket and also I got a ticket. That's okay. Yeah. And it's the same thing with the screens. Like your kid can be super mad at you if you take screens away and that's not a problem at all whatsoever. And you can even be empathetic to the fact that they are upset. And you get, this is what I love is when you're really nailing it with all this parenting stuff, you get to be the, both the disciplinarian and the comforter at the same time. You can say like, oh, buddy, sorry, but you know, when we act this way, we don't get to have screens for the rest of the day. I hate it. I hate the worst, blah, blah, blah. And you get to also be like, I know, I get it. Like losing screen stinks. And I was really looking forward to watching a movie with you later. It's a real bummer, but you know, that's just the way it is. And I, I mean, I guarantee every parent has either experienced this or witnessed this where a, where someone gives your kid a consequence. And at the same time, they come to that exact person who gave them the consequence for the hug and the kiss and the comforting. Like that's when, you know, you're really doing a great job. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Talk about your coaching program for dads that you've got open right now. How can people find you all the things? So you can totally find out all of the information that you want to about me at my website, which is easy to remember. It's just annkaplanparentcoach.com. If you want to specifically find out about the dads group, um, which I highly encourage you to do. I have a bit.ly link for it. So it's easy to go to. It's just bit.ly slash dad coaching. Super easy to remember. And um, I love that we're doing this conversation right now because right now I'm launching the beta version of this um, group. And because of that, all through the month of January, I'm offering super discounted founders pricing. So it's really a great time to jump on this and get started. And, you know, even though a lot of the stuff we talked about today is kind of like internal sort of, um, inner game work, and it might seem like it takes a long time. Like most of my clients see immediate change in their parenting and in their kids' behavior. I'm, when I say immediate, I mean like within a week or so of starting this work. It's 
pretty profound how differently things go between us and our kids when we start showing up differently. So I really want to encourage people to like, um, believe you can do it and that it's not going to be this like long drawn out teeth pulling task and things can be completely different in your family if you want them to be. Sure. Absolutely. That's awesome. Um, okay. Well, um, Instagram, Facebook, Yes. You can find me in both of those places and Kaplan parent coach really easy. Um, you can also just friend me on Facebook. I'm an old lady, so I'm still on Facebook and just being super corny and old. (laughs) No, I looked through your Facebook this morning. It's very, um, it is very much tied to your, your coaching and there's a lot of really great information on there. So I am, I am excited that you are still on Facebook. Um, all right. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on. And we have talked for, um, an hour and a half. So there is, you know, this is going to be a long episode, but I really think that people Mm -hmm. are going to get a lot of value out of it. So thank you so much for your time, energy, and effort and being here. And, um, yeah, hopefully you'll get lots of dads in your group. I know. Thanks so much. It was my pleasure. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Recognizing Potential podcast. If you found the content in this episode helpful, don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a review. I appreciate it so much, and it would absolutely make my day if you would share this episode by taking a screenshot and sharing it on your social media. I'll leave ways to tag me in the show notes, and I will talk to you next week.